0: Hello, and welcome on into Moving the Chains, the Northwestern Football Podcast here on WNR Sports. This is episode four. We're finished with the non conference season for the Wildcats. You're two and one coming off of a big win against Bowling Green. I'm joined this week by Will Greer and Frederick Bouget. Frederick, you were on the call against Bowling Green. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good. It
0: was very exciting to see such a big win and a very statement win. Uh, let's start with you. We're also joined by Will Greer. Will. Hello. Good to, good to have you here in the studio, as always, here in uh, Edit Bay 4.
2: Appreciate that, Amit. Really yeah, appreciate
0: that. Uh, Frederick, I want to start with you because you were on caller for this game and you, you know, really, really were juiced up for this one, really prepared. What, what's, what are the biggest takeaways we, we learned from this kind of huge win against Bowling Green, if there are any? I think some of the key takeaways, and they all
1: come with their caveat just because Bowling Green is not a very good team. But one of the big things is you can see what Clayton Thorson can do with a very clean pocket. You can see that on third downs and on any down, really, he looked to Garrett Dickerson a lot. And he got a lot of touches, a lot of yards. And also, you see that they really need to establish that run game in order to get everything else going. Justin Jackson he was electric and when you can get Justin Jackson going you allow the defense you you force the defense to really have to zone in on Justin Jackson and allow Clayton to have a lot more options
0: and Will you and I were at the Duke game where Northwestern had no running game do you think this is something they can replicate in future Big Ten games the, the run they had
2: Unfortunately my gut tells me no. We'll find out very quickly uh, because the next two teams on Northwestern's schedule, Wisconsin and Penn State respectively, have very good defensive lines. They're the absolute uh, key example of what you expect a Big Ten defensive line to be. And if Northwestern can establish the run game, as Frederick just alluded to, I think the entire offense is in big trouble. Hate to be too much of a negative, Nancy. It was a forty-nine to seven win. Always nice to beat a Max School. Max Schools can be dangerous. Bowling Green, maybe not one of those this year. Uh, but hate to glean too much from this game because I just don't know that Thorson's going to have the clean pocket, and I just don't know that Thorson's going to have the third and short going into Big Ten play.
0: Did we learn anything defensively about the Wildcats? I think their front seven has been underwhelming to start the year. We really haven't seen a pass rush. Did you guys learn anything there? And also maybe the cornerbacks who have been a very uh, injury-plagued unit so far. I think with the front seven, you still have the worries because Bowling Green, for
1: all their offensive struggles throughout this entire year, they were still able to get a lot of yardage on Northwestern, particularly in the first half. So you saw that Coleman was really able to just use that extra burst that he has, pick up 10, 15 yards, and the defensive line didn't really kick it into high gear until the third and fourth quarter.
2: You also saw James Morgan, was that his name, the Bowling Green starting quarterback? Mm-hmm. He came in something like 38 39% um, in completion percentage, not playing the best secondaries in the nation. And he looked pretty okay at points in this ballgame. The secondary, I think, continues to remain a huge, huge issue. Sure, you don't have Bullock or Keith Watkins II, and those are huge losses for Northwestern. But the secondary has got to be at the top, of the list of worries going into Big Ten play defensively for this team.
0: So asking you guys about Big Ten play, you know, what what are the key things Northwestern needs to improve? We talked about the defensive line, the offensive line, specifically players you need to see step up or, you know, schematic things that you guys have seen that just haven't been working.
2: I think we're about to see if Clayton Thorson can throw outside of the pocket. Uh, At some point you've got to move Thorson around. I mean, that is the solution to not having the best offensive line is getting your quarterback a little bit more mobile, which we know Thorson to be. You're gonna have to roll out, you're gonna have to be more creative in passing scenarios than Northwestern is currently being. And the first and 10 run maybe shouldn't be in the playbook either, because you're going up against better defensive lines. Maybe this becomes a pass first offense. That can get dangerous. Uh, but I think you got to try to throw defenses off because you're not going to win games just lining up, running the ball on 1st and 10, running the ball on 2nd and 7, and then throwing on 3rd down. The offensive line just hadn't been good enough. Uh, so schem- schematically, that's something that I would like to see changes. is getting Thorsen a little bit more mobile and having him throw from outside of the pocket.
1: Yeah, and I think defensively you have to look at the corners and say, is there a cornerback on Northwestern's team right now that can shut down the best team's wide receiver? Right now we haven't seen it, and it's going to be a problem because teams are going to be able to throw on first down and get second and short, third and short. And for Northwestern, it's going to be really important for them to stop teams and create third and long so that they're giving themselves
0: more opportunities to get the ball on offense and to try to outscore the opponent. Yeah, I think Northwestern, if they get into third and long, you know they, they can get some turnovers, they can maybe get some pressure. But personally, I haven't seen the pass rush really at all so far through three games. Um, Tyler Lancaster, you know, he's been doing an all right job. Joe Gaziano, we know he's talented, but just hasn't been consistent. Quarterbacks have had time to throw against this offense.
2: Yes, they have, and when that is the case you're relying on a couple interceptions maybe uh ill-timed fumble for the other team to win football games which is a slippery slope yeah, turnovers to try to ski can be down.
0: A, turnovers can be a great equalizer to make a below average defense average mediocre but if you don't get
2: any you're just going to get yeah. the
0: ball rammed
2: down your throat wisconsin may be exhibit a of that i mean can you think of a more uh, turnover averse team averse team than wisconsin in the nation Probably not going to turn the ball over too much. I mean, that's Horny Brooks' whole deal is that he throws in short passes, doesn't turn the ball over. Running backs probably aren't going to fumble. That could be a problem if you're not going to turn the the opposition over.
0: I mean, we obviously know Northwestern, their first two games are going to be really tough, but do you think that they can get through the rest of the schedule with uh, the play they have? or like Not even thinking about Wisconsin-Penn State, but just the rest of the Big Ten that's pretty solid. What needs to improve just to get to that level? Because personally, I don't think the Wildcats are even there yet where they're going to be able to beat teams like Iowa, Nebraska, um, Minnesota, you know, in, in, in important games. Yeah, I think you look at it, and it's definitely going to have to be in the trenches on the
1: offensive and defensive line. If the offensive line can get the running game, going and make sure that Thorson has just enough time to throw maybe he can create something and for the defensive line you alluded to it earlier there hasn't really been a pass rush at all and even the run defense hasn't been great so if the defensive line is very breakable then you already have a shortage of cornerbacks and it could be big trouble for Northwestern
2: I think you nailed it a you nailed it with that analysis right there Frederick Uh, but in terms of a broader lens a wider picture these next two games, fingers crossed, an upset, but probably not going to happen. So you're looking at 2-3. and three, You're looking at 0-2 in conference play. If what you're asking is can this team get to a bowl game facing Big Ten West competition week in, week out, maybe not. I mean, the West is shaping up to be a better division, than some prognosticators, myself included, thought it would be at the beginning of the year. Purdue is clearly much improved. Illinois, not great, but not a slouch either. Minnesota and Iowa appear to be... Uh, maybe above mediocre in Nebraska in terms of being a, maybe uh, a worse team yeah. in the conference, they're pretty good. I mean, they're, they're for, okay, for capable team. of yeah. beating you, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know that the six wins are there on this schedule, uh, but I think the next two weeks, by week not included, it should be weathering the storm of these two really tough opponents.
0: Yeah, I think there's some improvement due for, for Pat Fitzgerald's team, and I think they will improve. The question is how much. And, again, these next two games are going to be very difficult if Northwestern plays anything like they have the first three weeks. Let's move on a bit a bit just to review the non-con in general. This is kind of the same thing, really, what we've been talking about. Are, are the Cats on track to meet their preseason goals? I think preseason, we all thought eight wins was right around target. Nine would be really good. Uh, seven would be a little disappointing. Where do the Cats stand in your eyes through three games to getting there? I think right now they're only looking at about seven
1: wins with the way that they've played so far. It's going to be a team that's heavily going to rely on Justin Jackson to try to start the offense and really control the pace of the game with, with their running scheme. But I don't know if I'm seeing more than seven wins from this team with the way that they've played.
2: Yeah, I think a little behind schedule. Uh, it's tough to criticize this team too and, much and because of going, the injuries on the yeah, defense. And going 2 and 1 is
0: is good and not in non-conference. And you look at that Duke game, I mean, you would at the beginning of the season, you circle as a win, but Duke's obviously I think a little better than everyone thought. Right. And then it was on the road and and you think about where Northwestern was, where Duke was. I think 2 and 1 is actually okay results-wise. I think it's the performance that that's been the alarming
2: part. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. But looking at the schedule, I count seven toss-up games after the Wisconsin and Penn State games. The final seven games of the season, Northwestern could win and Northwestern could lose. I don't think there's a sure win on those final seven. I don't think there's a sure loss either, though. Uh, So this team maybe could get to nine wins. I mean, if everything goes perfectly, I think best case, you hope you win five out of those seven toss-up kind of games and maybe get to seven wins that way. Bowl game, certainly within reach for this team after the non-con slate. It was really good not to lose that Nevada game. Uh, but I think a little behind schedule might be fair to say of this team through three games. I would say might yes. be critical. I, I
0: think so. And I think the team would say that too. They're not where they need to be. They need to be sharper. Fitz has been saying a lot in his press conferences we need to coach the fundamentals. I mean, that's something you expect to hear after one week, maybe two. You know, three weeks in, you don't want to be hearing that from your head coach. Um, I think the staff will get this team in shape and, yeah, you know, at the right level. But it might be too little too late. That's the question for me, is whether those toss-ups can be tilted in Northwestern's favor. Anything else to add about the non conference that you guys have seen? You know, How are you guys just feeling? I feel like the mood around this team, the way we've been talking, it's just so shifted from the beginning of the year. There was a lot of optimism about this team.
2: Yeah, you lose by 24 points to a team you've beaten the last two years and uh, some criticism starts to, to funnel in. There's no good way to, to sugarcoat that ball game. and I think we're Fairly a little critical of the team and a little uh, What's the opposite of optimistic? Pessimistic. Pessimistic. Thank you. We're a little pessimistic at this point of the year three games in and because of all those toss-up games on the horizon I think it's fair to say we don't really know what to expect going forward in terms of this team's record and how it's all gonna shake out.
1: Yeah, and you look at the performance against Nevada, a team that the year before was giving up 300 yards on the ground a game and Justin Jackson can barely clip the 100 mark and you look at that Combined with the defensive issues that the teams had and you're not really confident going into the Big Ten season.
0: Let's let's move on a little to the Big Ten bouncing around. I know we're uh, we're gonna start still with the Northwestern frame before we look at the conference as a whole. How do you see that Big Ten West hierarchy shaping up? We've talked about it a little bit with those teams, but where does Northwestern fit in to the Big Ten West guys? I think that you look at the Cats and they're definitely
1: right after Wisconsin it's a, basically a toss-up in terms of which team is the second best team in the big 10 west as of right now i would have iowa just ahead of northwestern so putting the cats right in that three slot i think is where is a very solid placement considering the fact that they haven't played well in all three of the games but you see that there's a lot of talent on this team and if that talent is able to translate into wins on the field then you're looking at a second team and if they get lucky against Wisconsin then possibilities of a title.
2: I'll put Northwestern four behind Wisconsin Minnesota and Iowa. Purdue, uh, jury's still out on Purdue. Maybe Purdue could be the fourth best team. I think Nebraska Illinois are clearly the, the worst two teams in the Big Ten West. I think Iowa Wisconsin are clearly the best two. Uh, Northwestern, Minnesota, and Purdue in any order, really, for me at this point, uh, at yeah.
0: 3-4-5. I think Northwestern, if they get back to the expectations they have, and they play well, could be a better team than Iowa. But as of now, certainly not the case. Iowa has looked good so far to start the season. And I think talent-wise, Northwestern is a little better than Purdue and Minnesota. But they, I, I, so far, I would say they also haven't played that way. I think 3-4 or four is fair, and it's really whatever you... You know, you what you wanna how much credit you wanna give the cats for their talent before the season versus interpreting what they've done so far. Um I think that's fair that's fair. Good good analysis all around. Let's move on to the Big Ten as a whole. Any surprises from last week? I thought things kinda went as expected. Maybe Purdue really, really surprised us, or maybe Michigan surprised us with how flat they've been through three games. What do you guys think?
2: This is a Michigan thing to do, to to play some (laughs) closer-than-expected conference games against maybe some better-than-expected opponents. I mean, Air Force is not a slouch of an opponent coming in, but Michigan clearly did not look good in that football game. Wilton Spate and the whole quarterbacking core there in Ann Arbor continues to struggle a little bit. I think John Harbaugh, one of the best in-season coaches in the country, he'll probably have Michigan playing like a national title contender when November rolls around. Purdue. I don't know what to say about Purdue. I think their result against Louisville Week One is looking a little less flukish by the week. Uh, Louisville maybe not as good as we expected, but this Purdue team can can put up points, which is more than we've been able to say about them in the past. And every time I watch Purdue, some broadcaster brings up that their defense is very, very underrated. Uh, it might be the best part of the team. So maybe this Purdue team has turned it around. It's tough to say too much through three games, but. They certainly looked the part, and I guess we'll mm-hmm. find out this weekend.
1: Yeah, I think definitely Purdue's one of those very big surprises. Just the fact that they're able to really put the beat em down on the SEC team that not a lot of years ago was at the top of the SEC East. So you look at that Missouri team, you say they're not very good right now, but the fact that they're able to not just beat them, but to really like stomp their foot down on a Missouri team is very impressive. But then you also look into
0: Nebraska, not a very good loss to come off of. and just <laughs> that was, That's rough. They paid that team $800,000, the Huskies, to come play them. and that, <laughs> You don't yeah. want to pay a team that much to, to, <laughs> to beat you. NIU has won four yeah. out of
2: five against the Big Ten after that win. Isn't that incredible? They yeah, won what's, four what's of their last nuts. five all on the road, and they've gotten big paychecks from all those games. Right. So if you look at Nebraska, that that's definitely a loss
1: that could really demoralize a team.
2: Purdue, one more note on them before we move on here, potentially podcast host admit. Uh, Purdue was seven-point underdogs in that Missouri game, and they won the game 35-3. to So clearly, I don't think even Las Vegas has some of the most expert minds in the country when it comes to college football. I don't think they really know who the Boilermakers are. It was interesting to see a 10-point spread this week against Michigan at home. And past years, that would probably be a four-touchdown spread. So clearly Purdue starting to garner some respect, but I think we all did not expect the Boilermakers to be 2-1 and one through their first three games.
0: Uh, let's let's move on just a little bit. We're going to keep talking about the Big Ten. Let's look ahead to next week. We're going to see the start of, I'd say, in earnest conference play for Big Ten versus Big Ten matchups. Rutgers-Nebraska, eh? Michigan-Purdue we talked about, Penn State-Iowa, I think really a really interesting game we're going to see. Uh, in Iowa and the Notre Dame Michigan State, actually not a Big Ten matchup, but Notre Dame Midwestern team. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, so three you know conference matchups in there. What catches your eye this week? Uh, if you say Penn State Iowa, we can just start talking about that game as well.
2: Rutgers Nebraska does not catch my eye. Um, Michigan Purdue, I, I think could be could be interesting. We'll see. Purdue theoretically has a better offense than Michigan right now. If the Boilermakers. Can maybe have a couple 80-yard pass plays, something like that, outscore the Wolverines. I think that one could be interesting. And Penn State Iowa certainly feels like Iowa-Michigan from a year ago when Michigan had to visit Iowa late in the season, and the Hawkeyes got just enough points. I think they got a pick six, uh, maybe a blocked punt as well. Yeah, maybe Iowa could upset Penn State. Crazier things have happened.
1: Yeah, I feel like with the way that Iowa is playing, if they're able to knock off Penn State, if they're really able to contain Barkley and McSorley, then they have a chance to win the game. And if Iowa wins that game against Penn State, now
0: you're looking at Iowa and really thinking where do they fit along the ranks of the Big Ten elite. I want to ask you guys more about this game. You know, how do you see this going? You know, Penn State, the more talented team, but Iowa looked good to start the season. You know, it's always tough at home at night in Kinnick Stadium. Uh, on the road, I should say, for for Penn State. You know, what's the blueprint for for Iowa to to win this game on both sides of the ball?
2: I think stopping Saquon Barkley would be step A to having any chance against Penn State. He has been uh, really, really good through three weeks, as we expected him to be. Certainly a Heisman contender, I think, early on in 2017. Probably need some kind of turnover that leads to a touchdown, maybe need a big special teams play. Iowa doesn't have the senior quarterback this year in C.J. Beathard. I mean, I don't think you can rely on their offense to stay in the game that way with Penn State, but I think limit Saquon Barkley and hope that Penn State coughs the ball up a couple times, and maybe you win the game thanks to a little uh, crowd momentum late at Kinnick on a Saturday night. Yeah, and
1: in their matchup last year, Iowa gave up 599 total yards to Penn State and a lot of that came because that because McSorley was able to make plays when the pocket broke down and really find the open guys on that Penn State team so I was really gonna have to play good containment defense and try to keep a low-scoring game in order to just stay around long enough to try to get some of that fourth quarter mojo.
2: You make a great point Frederick bringing that game up that was uh, November 5th late in the season a 41 to 14 pounding in Happy Valley, and then Iowa, of course, turns around the next week and beats number three Michigan at home, fourteen to thirteen. So I think it probably speaks a lot to the effect that Kinnick Stadium can have on the Hawkeyes. Uh, but Iowa did not look good last year against Penn State, and uh, the Nittany Lions certainly have a more explosive offense than Michigan. So hate to equate Michigan from last year and Penn State of this year because they are very different teams. But you never know. You never know with the Hawkeyes.
0: I think that's fair. Good stuff on the Big Ten there, guys. Um, should be a fun week, especially in Kinnick. We'll have our eyes on that one. Let's move on to the national stage a bit, just you know, bouncing around what's been going on last week in college football. Uh, let's start with Stanford, LSU, UCLA, and Louisville. Four, four games, I thought, four ranked teams all underperforming on the national stage, albeit Louisville lost to Clemson, who I think is the second best team in the country. Which one of these teams are you the most worried about? Um, not necessarily the worst of these, but on their respective trajectories this season, who who is ringing the most alarm bells for
2: you guys? I think LSU was a pretty alarming loss. When's the last time LSU gave up 37 points uh, in a conference game like that? Watching the broadcast, the broadcasters were saying they never seen anything like that from LSU. The defense kind of gave up late in that game in route to giving up those 37 points. Uh, maybe we were all wrong on Mississippi State, who was unranked coming into the ball game. But for LSU, the twelfth best team theoretically in the country, to lose that ball game by thirty points—if I had told you before last week that Mississippi State was going to win that game by thirty points, what would you have said? I think that's a pretty alarming loss for LSU.
1: Yeah, and I think that LSU definitely in a hole. You look at Coach Ed, and you and you wonder when when you're an interim coach, you're able to really rally the guys. But when you're that head coach solidly in place there how does that affect the team but i think the the loser of the upcoming stanford and ucla matchup is really going to be in a hole because stanford did not look good at all against san diego state and ucla has just been disappointing as a whole you're expecting a little more out of them you're not expecting them to 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 one, being a close game with the Memphis Tigers team, but to also lose to them. So I think the loser of that matchup just really gets off to a bad start in Pac-12 play and really could have trouble in the upcoming season.
2: I'll say a quick note real quick in defense of both Michigan and San Diego State. Very good group of five programs. San Diego State is now receiving a ton of votes for the top 25. Uh, it's a team that keeps churning out really good rushers year in, year out. And Memphis, no slouch either. We know what they, they, get, they did they a couple years ago. Guy, Pumphrey. Who's that? Isn't he from there? Yeah, Pumphrey. Yeah. yeah he was the leading yeah, rusher in the nation. Sadly, he, yeah. he's
0: injured for uh, for the Eagles, but big, big, big talent. Supposed to be like Darren Sproles-esque. Yeah. And uh, he had yeah leading rusher in the nation. So
2: just. And Memphis has kept churning out passers. We know um, Broncos quarterback, backup.
0: Paxton Lynch. Paxton Lynch. Pax Lynch. Pax Lynch. Yeah, He's right. a
2: Memphis Tiger. Justin Fuente who's now at Virginia Tech. is doing great things. Fuente's predecessor was the total Fuente disciple, the guy who's the head coach right now. They keep putting up points. So, I don't think necessarily we worry too much about Pac-12 schools, Stanford and UCLA. Because I think San Diego State and Memphis are better than we give them credit for. Uh, still to me, that LSU loss is pretty alarming They lose that ball game by 30 points.
0: And then I wanted to ask also about Tennessee-Florida. Um, a good dramatic ending for those college football diehards. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy Hail Mary to end the game. Uh, is Tennessee finally going to stop with their late-game magic? Were they better than the scoreline showed? I thought they were actually very slow the entire game, but you know came back a bit at the end in Florida, I think. They they shouldn't have let Tennessee come back, but rightly, rightly won that one.
2: Tennessee gets an amazing amount of publicity for how mediocre of a school <laughs> they are. I hate to not answer your question, but I don't really care about Tennessee. I think Butch Jones' days are numbered. You just can't play games every week in which you have to erase a 14-point deficit late come back and win in overtime. It's not happening. I don't care about Tennessee, Florida. Mediocre SEC football. We treat it like it's a Super Bowl. It's mediocre SEC football.
1: It wasn't very good football, and I also wonder, how are you in a Hail Mary situation? And you have two guys in single coverage. Like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. So if those are the types of coaching decisions that you're making and you consistently see that Tennessee is having to get these come-from-behind victories, you really have to look at that coaching staff. Fireball offense, yeah. I wonder when that that (laughs) fact is going to start to tick.
0: Yeah. Uh, Let's move on a bit to next week's games. Not a great slate again for college football. We have Mississippi State, Georgia, TCU, Oklahoma State, and Cal, USC. Uh, both of you guys, maybe pick one of these games. What's what's really caught your eye in this, and how do you think it's going to go?
2: Um, I don't think Cal can upset USC. Oklahoma State, I'm kind of interested in Oklahoma State. We don't necessarily know how good they are uh, because their non-con schedule year in, year out is, is not exceedingly strong, but they've been able to put up points on just about Everyone they've played thus far in TCU under Gary Patterson, no doubt sports a better defense than what the Pokes have seen thus far. So we'll see if Oklahoma State can continue their winning ways. They've been putting up like 55 points a game. I'm interested to see how their offense looks this week.
1: Yeah, and I really want to see how USC looks coming into the season. Everybody was talking about Sam Darnold, how he's like the next great quarterback god. But USC hasn't really... Dominated any single team on their schedule so far. And they haven't played particularly impressive teams. So I wonder what USC is going to look like once they actually get into Pac-12 play
0: and really progress through the season. I think that's fair. And then Mississippi State-Georgia, you know, maybe this game wouldn't have been exciting if Mississippi State didn't, you know, blow the tires off of LSU. I think this will be a good test for Mississippi State if they can keep rolling, if they're for real, or that LSU game was kind of just a one-sided affair that got out of hand. Uh, moving on to the last segment of Moving the Chains. It's the Lock of the Week. Our fake sponsor, ADT, Lock of the Week. Lock your house. Lock your pick.
2: WN- been, UR, been some break-ins the last few weeks, huh? Yeah. Been been some burglars you, have been successful.
0: Yeah, you, get, you can't let anyone steal steal the points, steal the picks from you guys. Uh, we'll recap W.R. Into station four, two, and his station 4-2-1. and A little less than ideal, but that's okay. Last week, Matt McHugh picked USC at minus 15 over Texas. Uh, was not expecting the Longhorns to be back or not back. Uh, we'll see. I like to call them Schrodinger's Longhorns. They're both simultaneously in the state yeah. of being back and not back at the same time. And Jake Ritma, who I liked his pick a lot, Duke minus 14 over Baylor, turned out to be a push. Vegas had it just right on that one. So we're 4-2-1. Uh, you guys have the, the privilege of getting one pick this week to lock against the spread. I heard Will Gert has a bonus pick. That is not listed on the list of games I, I have for you, but I'm really excited to hear that. Frederick, let's start with you. What's your lock of the week? I think that this week, Michigan is really going to look to
1: make a statement. Okay. they had a lot of people talking about how the team's overrated, how they come out, they don't look very good. And I think that they're looking at that Purdue team and saying that team is not nearly as good as us and that they're going to try to definitely make a statement. So I'm going to lock
0: in Michigan at minus 10. I like it because good reasoning and you know, as we said, Harbaugh's gonna get that team in shape, so I, I like it. We'll see, we'll see. But I like I like the thinking. Will, what's your what's your first your normal lock?
2: I like well, that as too, Frederick, before I give my lock. This is the easiest pick anyone will make all season long. It is an absurd spread. Toledo, gimme the thirteen and a half points. Go into an empty Hard Rock Stadium in Miami where tickets are available for, I kid you not, $3 on StubHub right now. There will be no fans (laughs) in attendance. Miami, they've only beaten Bethune-Cookman. We have no idea how good the Hurricanes are. We treat them like they're Miami. Uh, This uh, football class, Mark Richt from Georgia to Miami is going to turn around the program. All they've done is beat Bethune-Cookman. We don't know how good they are. Meanwhile, Toledo, preseason... A team to beat in the Mid American Conference. They're already three and zero. They want to shoot out last week with Tulsa, who's not a slouch out of uh, Conference USA. Give me Toledo getting thirteen and a half points going on the road against Miami, who by the way has a short week going to Durham and Wallace Wade Stadium next Friday. Short week for the Hurricanes preseason favorite in the MAC. Toledo getting thirteen and a half points. Lock them in. Go Rockets.
0: Love it. Great pick. And now, well, I heard you had an extra pick for me yeah. involving Charlotte uh, at Georgia Tech. My, my Georgia, Georgia way, State. Georgia State, Georgia sorry.
2: State's visiting Charlotte, okay. yes. Jerry so Richardson I, Stadium I, I, in Charlotte. I messed that up a little bit, but I just want to set you up. Sure, thank you. I appreciate that a minute. A couple Sun Sunbelt teams going at it. This pick uh, centers around the fact that Charlotte lost to NCA&T last week at MEAC school. The best team in the MEAC last year. The North Carolina Central Eagles, they lost to Duke Week 1, 60-7. So I think that should tell you something about the MIAC. Yeah, Georgia State got shut up by Penn State last week, but give me Georgia State minus one on the road at Jerry Richardson Stadium uh, the Saturday night in Charlotte, North Carolina. Sure. You say it's not FBS. I say, yes, it is. Belt hey, football. Hey.
0: Do you know Duke's playing, you know, the most bowl bowl, bowl teams uh, this year? That's true. they full of bowl teams. Celebration Bowl. Starting with uh, NC State, Celebration Bowl, Meak. Um, NC, Central, a lot, NC Greer. Central. Yeah, NC Central, pardon me. Wilger's got a run. Frederick, thanks a lot for hopping on. This was a great pod. Again, abbreviated version of Moving the Chains because we have no game next week to talk about. We have a bye for Northwestern. But tune in next week, we'll be previewing Wisconsin. that will probably also be a bit abbreviated so we don't have a game to recap. But thanks for joining me, Amid Malik on behalf of Frederick Bouget, Will Greer. This has been Moving the Chains, episode four. It's been a good one, guys.
2: Bet your house on Toledo. You heard it there. Thanks for listening.